Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Scaffold, a podcast featuring interviews with architects, artists, and designers. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield. In this episode, I speak with the digital product developer, John Sinclair. Sinclair and his childhood friend, Matt Miller, the pair better known as Sinks and Mills, co-founded the digital product studio, Us2, in 2004. Over the past 15 years, Us2 has grown from a small mobile design startup into a multifaceted digital design studio, with roughly 300 employees in offices in London, New York, Malmo, and Sydney. S2 is arguably best known for creating the game Monument Valley, a surreal puzzle of fantastical architecture and impossible geometry. But their projects are wide-ranging, including everything from how-to guides for VR developers to the user experience of self-driving cars. They also design apps, and lots of them. To name a few, they've made apps that connect doctors with patients, apps that help employees organize their shifts, and apps that focus on meditation and mental health. I met with Sinks this past March at Us2's London Shoreditch office, where we talked about, among other things, Sinks' education in graphic design and user experience, the necessary failures that led to the breakthrough of Monument Valley, and the relationships between developing software and designing buildings. And now, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. to you right now because I'm used to talking to designers that work in the analog world. Okay. Um, and so realms like user interface designer, VR, is like kind of new to me okay. in terms of thinking about it critically. Obviously, I'm as immersed in it as anyone else. As a, just a normal user. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And I guess in some ways there's some parallels there between uh, digital design and, and architecture Yeah. insofar as um, they're both kind of ambient and totally pervasive. Um, and maybe that's why I'm here to a certain extent. Um, but I, I guess I'm also here to find out a little more about how you and Mills got into sure. um, d digital design, broadly speaking. The business S2 started off focusing on, as far as I understand, like mobile yeah. development. Mobile design, yeah. Mobile Mo design. Mobile stuff, yeah. yeah. But when you were in school, like, cell phones hadn't really no. become mainstream yet. No. Yeah, and so like, you couldn't really have known that this is what you were going to focus on professionally? No, absolutely. It was a total accident when you fell into it. So I'm kind of curious, like, because <laughs> you started off studying at Brighton, uh, you and Mills together. Yeah. Um, like, well, we were studying way before that together from the age of 11. So we, yeah. We right. And actually, maybe it's worth just going back to the very beginning. So you and Mills were both born in uh, Tunbridge Wells? Yeah. 
which is just outside of London. Yeah, about an hour outside, yeah. And um, I guess because you're here, I'm going to focus on your background. Yeah, uh, that'll be easier for me to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know most of Mills' background as well, actually, but anyway. But what I know is that your father was a jazz musician. He was, yeah. And uh, he introduced you to computers quite early on. Yeah, he had a lot of spare time during the day, so yeah. And uh, like, what, how old were you when you first encountered a computer? Um, I, I wasn't super young. I like 13, 14. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my dad was, uh, he used it lots of desktop publishing and design stuff, but we had Apple, he was really massively into Apple Mac. So I became pretty familiar with some of the software, Adobe, like the early Photoshop software before most people were on it. So by the time I went to Brighton, uh, when they were literally just getting computers and stuff, I was already a pretty kind of handy on some of the tools. This is in the days of CD-ROMs and very, very early web stuff. I was kind of a wannabe developer, but a designer and kind of, and I understood enough about code to copy and paste it and to tweak things and change things to get things to, to work and move. And <laughs> okay, so this was the mid-90s? Yeah, or Brighton earlier. would have been midnight, yeah, mid, like 96, 97, then London, okay. 98, yeah. And so like you went to Brighton knowing that you wanted to be a developer, is that right? No, 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 I was never, I, sorry, I, I was a wannabe, I mean, I was always design. Uh, uh -huh. And the reason I was into design is I was mediocre at everything else at school. So it was kind of, it was a very easy choice for me. Um, so I was always wanting to do art and, uh, um, but I was never actually really that great at the, the drawing or the visual side of stuff. For me, it was about the problem solving or kind of a, I mean, this was before the term UX. I mean, yeah. like there was inter, there was some early interaction courses at the Royal College and stuff, but these had like literally just, uh, well, I think they just started. But um, I think UX, I, I, was, I was a sort of a born UXer. I just hadn't, it just hadn't happened yet, if you see me. So when yeah. UX started to, come along and it was less about the appearance of something and more about the flow of how something worked uh -huh. or how easy it was to use, it, it clicked with me a lot. And Mills, on the, on the other hand, was very visual and kind of aesthetic. And so this is how we started working quite closely together. Mm -hmm. And then I guess in the background at home, I'm tapping away and kind of learning how to use Adobe and some of the early uh, sort of paint packages and stuff. So coming out of Brighton, had that term become mainstream yet, user experience, or were you still not entirely clear on like where, uh, where you were going to go next? I mean, it was funny because there, there were a few people at Brighton that were obsessed with wanting to go to St. Martins. Now, I'd never heard of St. Martins when I was at Brighton. Yeah, I, I ended up going through this process where I got offered a place there, um, but in all honesty, I just, I just wanted to go where me, where me and Mills and a bunch of other people were going, and that was Bath. Uh -huh. And my tutor kind of sat me down and said, "You should probably take this seriously and kind of um, and, and and you know have have a, have a do a bit of research and uh -huh. you should probably take up take take that offer." So I took uh, it was a bit no, I'm not I'm not to be honest, I wasn't great at doing things on my own, especially going to London on my own, like scared the shit it scared the um, yeah you can swear yeah, it's scared fine. the shit out of me sorry. Um, <laughs> Um, but so I got I got offered a place quite early on, and I kind of I made I made the decision to to go there. Um, yeah, fairly early on in that foundation course, uh, but but U user UX certainly didn't. I mean, it existed, but it wasn't it wasn't branded as UX. So I think the, the, uh, like in, interface or design was starting to be banded around. But the whole like I mean the whole like 
digital use and kind of like sort of making something and changing it and learning how someone used it. I mean, that only really came with digital because uh -huh. previously you would do a piece of design and it was like a, it was either a poster or a real, you know, you couldn't it really was an change object. it. It was an object or a, or a thing. Whereas digital enabled you to launch something, test it on someone, work out what was wrong and change it and iterate it. So it was less about the, the big thing and mm. then the final reveal. It was like, let's get something working, see how someone uses it and then change it. Yeah. That's what I feel like it's so different about where I'm coming from. Like as an architect, I kind of knew more or less what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, because regardless of how the tools change over time to design yeah. buildings, in the end, you're always going to get a building. <laughs> yeah. But with the kind of work that you're doing now and that you were doing from the beginning, it seems like it's never really clear what the end result is going to be. It's. Yeah, I mean, it's changed. Uh, I mean, we did in the early days when we were working a lot in the, on the early mobile phones and with Sony Ericsson and stuff, like a lot of the stuff we were doing, I guess, did have a final. It was like installed on a phone and it had essentially a final footprint on the, on the phone. The real change for how, how we approach design was the introduction of software and how it all works together and it, and it not having a fixed state. So why would you do or spend all this money and waste money when you don't know if it works yet or uh -huh. if you haven't tested it with users and kind of... So kind of, there's a lot about um, agile development that for me is a, it's just common sense. Let's not spend too much money or time on something until we've <laughs> validated this idea or this hypothesis, um, uh, you know, as early on as possible. And it, and it's what it's what we do now for a lot of our it's what we do now for a lot of our clients. I think before we get to um, these more recent concepts, sure. I want to stay, stay in the past yep, for a little okay. bit, continuing on with St. Martin's. You were doing some work experience during your time there with a company called Fitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, I You'd think they still exist. <laughs> they're, they're a brand and retail consultancy. Um, and then after that, from 2000 to 2004, you were with um, a company called Big Animal. This was yeah. along with your business partner, Mills. Yes, that's correct. Um, and they're a creative production studio yeah. uh, specializing in brand and product storytelling. So, like, when I, I think when I say things like creative production studio or retail consultancy, a lot of listeners might not actually know what that meant at the time or what it means now. Yeah. Well, Could you talk a little bit about, I guess, your experience at Fitch and Big Animal and like what it, how it influenced you? Yeah. Well, I mean, when I got a part-time job at Fitch, I mean, I was just happy to have a job and get some money. I mean, I didn't have much money back then and Fitch was paying me whatever it was, 300 quid a week to the, to, during the summer and stuff. So, I mean, this wasn't me like choosing my portfolio of amazing companies to work for. Yeah. This is like, Christ, who's going to give me some money to do some... Uh, and of course, I knew, I knew how to use the computers quite early on, so I was a pretty handy art worker. Th this was right at the sort of the tail end of the whole web boom, so there was lots of work around, uh, mainly in web. This was before, certainly before mobile kicked off into, mm -hmm. the, into the mainstream. And there was, a, there was a bunch of people I got to know there, one of which was Dom Del Torta, who... who uh, owned Big Animal, went on to set up uh, Big Animal. Uh, and these were the days of uh, Flash as, mm -hmm. the, as, a, as a tool. Now, Flash was quite interesting for me because it was a, like a, it was a, a sort of a half design, half development tool that allowed you to do kind of development stuff without having to be too, <laughs> uh -huh. too clever, if you see what I mean. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, we, um, I got quite heavily into Flash and ActionScript. Uh, I found it quite much easier to, uh, to understand. So I, I got, uh, we got quite into that, and Sony Ericsson um, uh, were used, starting to use that, and we actually grew quite large off the back of, uh, of Flash and doing a lot of the, 
the mobile designs and animations at the, uh, at mm. the time. And, and it carried on Flash into, into us too with, with Sony Ericsson, but okay. a lot of it was, was in big animal days. In 2004, you and Mills decided to set up your own company. Yeah. I'm wondering what the impetus was behind that. Was that always an ambition for you guys? So we did, we did want to set something up. There was a couple of reasons what, why it happened then. Uh, um, but we, we always wanted to work together. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was no, I mean, there certainly wasn't any great ambition to have a massive design company with studios around the world. We're, we're, we're a very like, we just want to do great work and kind of work together on, on stuff. Uh -huh. And uh, to be fair, we, we love working with people. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's the, it's what we've all, we've always been really good at hiring people and working well with people, and it's it's part of our kind of uh, sort of the culture from the DNA of the whole uh -huh. business is like I mean we're going to spend a lot of time at work we might as well get on and do amazing things together because it's going to mm. be a large percentage of our life we're going to spend here but you know we're called Fampany one bit one yeah big I was just going to bring that yeah. up actually uh, so I mean, just speaking of the like one of the value the core values of us two this hybrid another hybrid word is Fampany. Uh, as you say, and um, it's, it's asserting the fact that the company is a big family. Yeah. Um, it's a really compelling idea in theory, but uh, somehow like thinking of coworkers as family. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems, it seems so intimate and it seems like a lot could possibly go wrong there. I think you need to be very careful running a family style business because obviously there's a, you know, you can't get rid of a family member if they're if they're not doing it. like it's a, you know there's a we need to focus on the two words family and company and and I think we've gone a bit too family and not enough company and business if, uh. if you see what I mean and I think it was just being a little naive as a company on kind of we're one big happy family everything's great uh, we also need to make money by the way and we really need to make amazing projects and we need to sort of make sure we're delivering on time and I think it's about it's taking the elements of, of how you care and are considerate for family members at the same time as we're a business and, and we need to produce the best work in the world and, and win awards and, and, and make money and kind of a, and a, for me it's, it's, uh, it's taking the elements of both of those and, and, um, and making it work. I mean essentially the intent when we came up with the word was just we're a company that actually gives a shit about its employees. That was the intent. Uh, but yes, it has had some, you know, a family thing does have a does have some issues that we've had to uh, we've had to address. So we've we've been conscious about moving that dial a bit back towards the company and, and, and sort of sort of getting people to understand that it's you know it's not just about how you treat one another and kind of but it's also <laughs> the the business and commercial uh -huh. side of stuff. But I just feel like it's probably such a common struggle for a lot of businesses that are in your position that started off small and were known for their inventiveness and innovation yeah. and playfulness and goofiness and whatever. All, all that, yeah. But once you become a company that's like over 300 people strong now and you're working with companies like Ford and uh, Google and DeepMind and uh, you're kind of broadening your reach to such a, a, a large extent, I could imagine that being really difficult to still put yourselves forward as it, as this kind of, it, um, I don't know, like as a playful goofy, startup. Goofy company, yeah. Yeah, yeah. goofy I company. I mean, I heard Mills describe it to someone else the other day. It's like we'd, we'd created like a 300-person, I mean, this was a few years ago, but a 300-person youth club. And he, I mean, he's not, and he wasn't far wrong at the, at the time. <laughs> and like, uh, I, do, I do say to people, though, that um, the way that I don't want to run the company how we ran it like 10 years ago, you know, when we, like, uh, you know, there were, there, were, there were loads, you know, people refer, you know, 
some people refer back to all the old days when we did this and that, you know, but there's a load of things now that we do a lot better than the, than the, you know, with kind of work-life balance is, is one of these things actually, when, mm. when people are working crazy hours in the early, you know, so there's a, you can't, uh, you have to run a different, you have to run a business differently as you grow, you just do, and you need to be okay with that. The biggest change me and Mills made in the last like, you know, three, five years is it's okay to change. Mm. If we don't change, we're actually, we'll, we'll go down as a company. Like you have to change and evolve, not, and that's with the work you do, the people you hire, but also the culture of the business needs to change. Times change, things mm. change. Mm. Uh, we do so much more amazing stuff with diversity and, and you know, benefits and now that we could never do then. But so, so there's, yes, we've become more, more grown up. And, and has it taken a bit of a shine off some of the goofiness? Yeah. But I, but I, but I guess I'm, I'm okay with that because some of the work we're doing and the culture, it just changes. It, and, and for me, that's okay. I mean, if I, I, I prefer the culture now than I did, you know, three or four years ago. Mm. As us two has grown, you and Mills have talked, you know, openly about um, the way your role in the company has changed. Sure. Um, and that it sounded like, to a certain extent, um, us two became uh, a bigger animal than you yeah. could manage on your own. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And so you went on this hunt last year for a CEO to take over um, your day-to-day -day responsibilities. Yes. Um, and you found uh, Karsten Weirwell. Weirwell? Yeah, that's uh, we all have money on how to say his second name. He always, <laughs> he always just says it doesn't matter, but um, Weirwell would be how Weirwell. I would say it. Yeah. And so, like, this is actually a really pivotal moment in the life of the company. It's, yeah, huge personally for me and Mills and for the company, yeah. Really. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. First of all, the decision to step back um, from the operational um, side of the company, giving yeah. that control over to someone else. Yeah, I think, I mean, traditionally, me and Mills have never had issues giving control, as in kind of like, you know, we were never those creative directors that were kind of on the team telling them what to, you know, we were always very, I mean, we would always joke and say we had 300 people that were all better than us at kind of, uh, you know, design and, and, and delivering product. But I guess that, like in the last three or four years, we, we, you know, when we've had some bumps and ups and downs, I, I've realized that we're, we definitely need someone that's been there and, and done that in, in, a, in a, you know, I mean, we may be small to some people. In my eyes, we're a big, we're a big company. There's a lot of people, and you know, we really care about people. Mm. Um, so, I, I, although I was better suited than Mills to look after the studio business, I realised I wasn't going to be the person that was going to take this to the next step. And 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 that's absolutely what this studio uh, group deserves. Uh, and it and it's what I want. Uh, it's what I want as well. Um, so this, the journey to find uh, Carsten was. It took about a year. I interviewed a lot of people um, with, with with some help. We have a board now and loads of. Uh, we're we're like, kind of like a proper company now, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot about that I really like, just with the support and the kind of uh, people advising. You know, like me and Mills are very like we're all trust on people. So like uh, we, it's really good when we have people at, the, at that level helping us and advising, you know, advising us the, the right way. So we got a lot of help through this patch uh, and Carsten came on board, you know, and everyone was telling me that this handover, you know, handing over from a founder CEO to, a, to an external CEO is like one of the hardest things a business can ever do. It was actually been pretty easy. Mm. Uh, he's, uh, 
I mean, the, w the way that he wants to take the studio business is completely in line with where we want, I mean, I guess that, that's why we hired him, I guess. <laughs> um, it's very much the way we want to take the, 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 the business. He's really, on the, on the bits that I lacked on more the business, on the, on the sales and marketing, like he's really, really strong on this side. And he's and he's a he's a strong leader. So it's like it's um it's been it's been an absolute joy. I mean it's a, a, a slightly weird situation as I'm as I'm stepping back, but it's by design. I guess maybe this is a chance to talk about the way you set up the company or the sure. way you designed yeah the structure of the company. And I I guess as like a way of framing that, um, it's probably worth bringing up some like anecdotes about you earlier on in life. Because I think it's interesting just to have this in the back I'm, I'm of worried what you're going to say, but anyway. But yeah. there's this one story that came up, I think, in a conversation you had with Mills on his podcast, which is called JFDI, yeah. and which is absolutely insane, yeah. um, but a, a lot of fun, um, where you were talking about um, some early work you were doing as like a landscaper. Oh, or yeah. As a gardener, I was like, yes. Uh, you also worked in a rug shop for a bit. <laughs> I, I did all the normal like, like random <laughs> jobs when you were, uh, before you. Yeah. But these are like quite physically taxing and, and monotonous, laborious jobs, and that you had found ways of I don't know like gamifying mm -hmm. them, M making them more enjoyable. I get yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer if you if you have to do something, uh, whether you want to do it or not, if you have to do something, you might as well do it the best that you can and kind of. Uh, yeah, so I would make all sorts of games up for myself. I mean, there's, there's, there's stupid games now, but, uh -huh. it's, uh, but it is, I guess, the way that that, you know, some of the early um, us two work we were doing, it, it was, I would say it was great, but there was some of it that was pretty boring work. But, uh, um, you know, I would, you know, if, if a load of boring, like, repetitive work come through, rather than just sitting there and do it, I'd like, how can we do this more efficiently? I would always try and look at something, even boring things like invoicing and how we do hours and stuff, I'd always try and look at it as a creative uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, because for me, the, 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 where I get my, well I still do, where I get my real creative buzz is solving those problems in, a, in really efficient ways. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's a, for me, it doesn't matter whether it's a dry topic or a kind of, because for me it's about how do we make this better or how do we improve this flow or this experience. It just so happened that a lot of them were our own issues and problems uh -huh. as a business. Like how do we make sure people get paid on time? How do we make sure we, you know, the, the client's invoice gets to them and they, and, and, and they see it. So yeah, there was, um, I, I, I didn't mind the, uh, I, you know, I, I've always been, sometimes I, I love when someone gets, uh, I mean, like gives me a task where I just have to sort of get my head down, earphones on and kind of like, uh, you know, smash through it. Uh -huh. I, I realize now with my role here, it's probably not a great use of my time, but I quite, I, as a per, my personality, I quite like sort of, uh, I, I set myself millions of goals and how do I do this, how do I do this quicker, how can I get this, um, you know, maybe it's just my sad way of making it slightly more fun than it actually is. <laughs> but it's, it just seems like there's always been, or there is with you this fascination with uh, the design, not, not of things necessarily or products, but of like structures and systems. Yeah, th th there is. I, I, um, I, I get excited about stories that you, that you hear about kind of saving like fuel on long journeys or, or kind of like uh, how you would get up a building or navigate through an airport kind of easy, you know, that, so for me, uh, I mean, if it's visually pleasing or aesthetically pleasing as well, for me, that's just a bonus. It's mm -hmm. kind of uh, great. But that, uh, my, 
where, you know, when I see doors that have handles that like that are pushed and like that's what annoys me. And like, a, you know, so it's not it's not necessarily it's the functionality of something rather than the aesthetics of something yeah. that, that 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 please me. But software lends its um, the reason that uh, software lends its uh, its its benefit to that because you can iterate and change. And I, and I think for and again with with clients and and uh, you know we're building products now for what well, have been for a while now for clients that have hundreds of features in them so it's not it's not about just launching in one big go it's it's about try this one does this work what are the biggest problems we need to solve what, where are the risks how do we approach this in a way so that element of the kind of uh, of the client brief or our own problems internally as a business like i've always liked and enjoy solving and that's I guess my weird kind of I mean it, I guess it's UX brains as well how mm. they they work it's it's more about the meaningfulness of what you're doing or how it improves something or someone's reaction when they use it not necessarily see it if it's a sound or a, a combination of presses or a, mm -hmm. the way a handle moves or presses that's uh, that I enjoy that uh -huh. it feels like um, and I'm sure this term has been used before but like uh, there's a kind of cognitive ergonomics at play here. Yeah, the, yeah, to yeah, they're to totally like re re removing friction from life. Yes, <laughs> uh, and and that can be from household chores to kind of like uh, you know we get paid to do this for clients and help them with their digital side and kind of like uh, it can be invent and create something new for a client or it can be looking at a current process for a large organisation about looking at how we can in and improve things or help them improve their own teams about how they kind of navigate the, the, the digital kind of field. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about um, us two now and its sure. genesis and development over the past 15 years. And so obviously it started with just uh, you and Mills. You were yeah. doing work for uh, Sony Ericsson. Yeah. Um, what exactly were you doing uh, with them? Uh, it was... So most most people, when we say we work for Sony Ericsson, they say, oh, were you doing the billboards or were you doing the TV app? Like a, we were essentially doing everything on the screen of the phones. So, and it was the same when we were, I mean, it's the, rather than doing the, the we weren't ever working on marketing or campaign materials. It was always the core, pro, the product, like how the, the icons interface. looked, how the interface and kind of, uh, and even it even was when we were working for Sony back before then, it wasn't, we weren't doing Sony Bravia adverts. We were doing how the TV, the program <laughs> guide were. I mean, kind of boring, but I, again, no, I, I guess I kind of like, quite like. I it, think that's but, totally <laughs> fascinating. Um, but so yeah, so we, we we were doing a lot of the on-screen stuff. Uh, I mean, really early days. Um, that was really basic. And then as as the phones started to, I mean, the phones were going through huge progressions there with the chipsets and the screen resolutions and stuff. So, like every every time a new phone came out, of course this ends at the, the iPhone when that just can blew everything out of the water. But every time a new phone came out, it was double the resolution, the color palette had increased. So there was always lots of new investigations of, of, of and, and, and things to play with. And oh, now the phone's fast enough to try this thing that didn't work before. It mm. is, I mean, with animations and frame rates and uh -huh. kind of. Uh, so we did a lot of uh, things with, uh, and we, we did a lot of kind of silly content as well and kind of you know when you send you know, early days of picture messaging and all, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and we did like really big men complex menu systems and big but all on the all on the phone I remember trying to design a, a keyboard that had less input presses than a QWERTY keyboard using this four-way arrow kind of a 
system. They, it, it became quite interesting when we started working more and more closely with Sony Ericsson for how, like, in, how you input things because previously they designed the hardware and then the, sort of, the software just comes and gets put on top. Mm. But where, where it was more interesting for us is when we got to start working with the hardware folks much earlier on. Uh. I mean, I, I would say that now as well with like a, it's, it's such a terrible mistake that a lot of companies think they think they've done the product and the hardware and it's all working and then they go, oh, we need to, we need to put the digital on or need, I mean, th this has changed a number of years ago now, but, uh, but when we got to work with the actual um, hardware folks and kind of looked about how people input or how they're going to use the screen and then you can have a two-way conversation and be, and be more involved actually uh, much earlier on, uh, that's where I really enjoyed it because mm. You're, it's not like, yeah, we've made our product, can you put something on it now? It's more of a like, we're going to make a phone together. Uh -huh. uh, and so, um, at some point, uh, you and Mills decided to branch out and start trying to develop your own intellectual property. IP yeah. is something that comes up a lot with companies like yours. Yeah. Um, and usually it's associated with video game design, as far as I understand. But with, with us too, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've done a lot for many years. And so, you're doing work for clients that um, didn't belong to you after you finished it. Not only that, we couldn't even talk about it. You couldn't talk about yeah. it. Well, a, a lot of it we couldn't talk about. Uh, and so I think, I guess the question is like, what other work were you starting to do around that time um, that allowed you more freedom, uh, first of all, I guess, to just publicize what you were doing, but also to, to own the work at the end as well? Yeah, I think that, I mean, Looking back now, it was more about doing our own work and being able to shout about it. We, we, I think we'd grown to 40 or 50 people working for clients that we weren't allowed to talk about. So huh. we were this already quite big company mm. that had essentially done nothing to the outside world. Um, uh, when, when the iPhone came out and shortly after the, the App Store and stuff, well, basically, it basically gave us a, a voice. It gave us something that we could, you know, and we'd already started to get into early development and we'd We'd assigned a one of our early developers on iOS, iOS development, and kind of, and we we started putting a few um, early apps out. And I mean, and this is where I guess I, Mills and I's journey changed a little bit because Mills got, I mean, as you as you've heard, Mills isn't the quietest person in the world. So not being able to talk about anything we do for like five years was a bit of a problem for Mills. Uh -huh. So as soon as we were able to put uh, launch some of our own, I mean, they were pretty crappy things to begin with, but we learned um, we learned how to launch apps. We learned what did well in different markets. We started. I mean, I guess we then owned the IP, which was which was great. But we weren't. I, I don't think we were doing it to say we own the IP. We just wanted to. We wanted to do stuff that came out and we could shout about and send uh -huh. out and kind of. Uh, I think it, it, it was less strategic. It was more like let's just let's just make this and see if it works. Oh, no, huh. Let's just do this. Let's get it out. And it, but we soon definitely got a taste for for doing that. But then then what happened is all those learnings in our own IP mm -hmm. started to, to you know translate to you know this began the wave of the apps and every client in the world want, wanting one. And as I said, by this time we were like 40 or 50 people. So we were a relatively big, unheard of mobile design uh, studio. Mm. I used to get so frustrated when we were called a mobile design studio and then suddenly the iPhone came out and I was like, what's huh. going on the mobile? It's so funny <laughs> how the uh, arrival of the iPhone marked a major key oh, it change was, it was monument, for you monumental guys. for us. And just to like situate things, so the iPhone comes out, oh, first of all, us two is founded in 2004. Yeah iPhone comes out in 2006. 
Yeah. The App Store is 2007. Yeah. And um, I just want to kind of run through really quickly some of the early apps that you guys designed. Okay. Um, Are you going to tell me? Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I only have a few, and like most of them okay. start around 2010, so I'm sure I'm missing quite a lot before uh, that. But yes, probably the most prominent early app that us two uh, came out with was Mouthoff. Oh yeah, that was quite an early one. Okay. That was one of my ones. Oh really? Ironically, it's all the things I hate about apps, like silly gimmicky things. But um, the how we got to doing mouth off is we spent another one. I had this other idea for this stepping, which was a running thing. We spent so much time on it, um, months and months of work, and it must have made about twenty pounds. I mean, it literally hardly anything. And the I, thing that preceded. Yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of things, but one specifically. The, the, we spent this much time and we made a few hundred quid or something like that. Literally, we lost so much money making this game. So I was like, well, let's strategically see if we can do something that makes money, yeah, which means we need to spend hardly any time making it uh -huh. because it's the, it's the difference between the time we spend. And, um, and this is where Mouth Off came out. So Mouth Off essentially is a mouth that opens based on your voice and the mic. Mm. And it's, a sim it's like seven frames that opens and shuts. So we lit, I mean, we probably spent hundreds of hours on it over the time, but the first version we'd spent like a day on, like mm. literally a, or, or, or a week or something, like hardly any time. And it, and it did well, it did, it did really well. Uh -huh. I think Mills, were and it kept on coming back and rebranding it and we did it for this. Mills would always call it the turd that didn't flush um, <laughs> because it, it was a crap game, but it just kept on coming back and kept on uh, selling. But that, that um, I guess that was the first one that we'd done that, uh, that people had known about. Uh -huh. Certainly people in our circles or kind of, uh, I was slightly embarrassed about it because it was kind of, you know, it, it's like these gimmicky apps that in there were the fart apps and the drinking apps and stuff. Yeah. And we were on, it was going on that bandwagon, if you see what I mean. Uh -huh. But, um, but it, was a, it was a really interesting, like, of investment into something and kind of launching it. And it was a real lesson for me in, like, spending so much time on something and then launching it with having no, you know, uh -huh. the whole idea of, like, really getting a good idea of testing things before you, you know, I guess it, then this leads into agile software and right. testing things uh, later on. And just to go through a few more, uh, Grandimator also came out the same yeah. year in 2010. This is a sound-based wallpaper. Yeah, it's, it's, it has sound on it. This we basically, uh, funny enough, through working with Sony Ericsson, we made a, a really good network of illustrators because of all the phone content and wallpapers and stuff. Mm. So we, have, we thought to ourselves, how can we use some of the contacts and, and network that we have uh, to, to make another app? So basically, we got a whole a uh, bunch of people together and created these wallpapers that you could move their assets around, uh -huh. add sound to it, and then create a wallpaper. Uh, and, and then um, 2011, there was this game called Whale Trail, which yeah. was a single runner game, um, yeah. which featured this whale kind of soaring through the sky. And yeah. what else was it doing? Just that, basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was that, but th this was... Um, this was the first time that we'd probably planned and like uh, with budgeting and stuff and like uh, I mean Mills isn't great at planning generally, but um, I think I could uh, I was getting slightly nervous with how much we were spending on the on the sort of own IP side of things. Mm. So rather than have a completely open sort of uh, <laughs> can for the, so I tried to get us to sort of get you know like sort of plan in a, an, an actual team and we ring, this is when we started to actually ring fence the games team uh -huh. uh, and hire a few like specific games developer or designers and developers and because before we were 
we were kind of doing things when we were in between client work and you know so it was like you know the client work always came first so they would be in the middle of doing something and the client work would pull them out again uh -huh. so with well trail we put like a I, I can't remember how big six people or something or five I don't know how many people, but uh -huh. like we, we secured a team on it for six months or so, and we kind of it was like a proper project, and it did okay. I think uh, I think Neil says that made money, but it definitely didn't make money, but it didn't lose too much money. Huh. Um, so, and we invested quite a bit in that one. So that was our first like semi-successful uh, game. Uh huh. And then it, you also tried to spin it off into a TV series. Yeah. Or I did, saw like we? a really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really amazing trailer for for it. Yeah, we did. I'm actually, I actually can't remember. I, I remember doing that, and uh, there's some of the models around the studio. Uh -huh. and we can look on the way out, but there's these full size kind of like costumes and stuff. Um, yeah, we were gonna go ahead with that. I actually can't remember why we uh, <laughs> why, why we didn't. Probably me worrying about the cost of it, to be mm -hmm. honest. But uh, and then there was Blip Blop. I'll just quickly go through yeah, the, sure. these next two. Blip Blop, which was a minimalist puzzle game, and then Rando, which was a Almost like a chat roulette style yeah. photo sharing. Weirdly, I, like it wouldn't have surprised me if that one actually did really well, but it, it did okay in the, in the end. But it, it was one of these weird ones that could have just gone massive for some weird social reason, but, uh -huh. um, but yeah, it, it didn't do too well. And so like all of these projects were kind of happening on the side while you were doing the more lucrative client work. Yeah. And it, I guess part of me is wondering like, why, like why, What's the point, almost? And this is just rhetorical because I sure. know what the point is. <laughs> but can you tell me? That? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because in some ways they seem like sketches yeah. or like doodles. Yes. Um, and you're just kind of having fun and testing things out, and it's for the sheer pleasure of it. There's a big element of that. I, I think um, certainly some of those earlier ones and Rando and like a, you know there was always a twenty percent hope that you know th there were. There were similarly weird games that were, or, or apps that were coming out, and some, you know, one in ten of them would like become big and massive, and you know, so there was a, an element of like, there's a, you know, there's there's a chance this might do really well and, and blow up, uh -huh. but a lot of it was, um, I mean, a lot of it was more experimentation. We were moving people around big client projects, so it would be like a month off a client project and working on this kind of. A, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, there was zero structure to it and, you know, the ones you're naming, there were 10 others that we spent loads of time on that didn't come out and uh -huh. it was kind of, a, I mean, it was, it was lots of fun. If I was to go back, I would definitely try and put a bit of structure and kind of around, you know, there, there was a couple that we spent tons of time on that, that, that didn't, or I think they did come out, but they literally weren't great, at, <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't good at all. <laughs> but, it, but it was... It, it was all like everything was good in like you know like uh, the client business was going well kind of we were doing well as a company like it was a really good vibe it was a happy like uh, so we we essentially me and Mills were like using the the money we we're making as a business to sort of invest back in to uh -huh. and, and and you know Mills was running this kind of uh, area you know this area doing our own IP stuff and it was you know I was starting to like it was starting to get a bit of pressure on the business you know as you know these slightly sort of large profit margins were becoming smaller and I was getting more worried about the amount we're investing. Uh -huh. Of course, then we did the next one. Exactly, but, uh, <laughs> so all of this is kind of um, culminating in the release of Monument Valley in 2014, yeah. which arguably is what us two is best known for. Absolutely, yeah. And Mills has this portmanteau or like hybrid word, um, six like failure. I was gonna say what one, <laughs> yes, he does, yeah. 
And uh, that kind of justifies um, these cumulative failures because arguably they're all in service of the success yeah. of this, this one I mean, big There's project. only so long you can do that though. Yeah, <laughs> but I, someone, maybe he was saying that there was something like 16 failed games before Monument Valley came I out. Would, I would say at least, yeah. I mean, some of them didn't make it to the store, but yeah, there, mm. were, there were probably a lot more than that. And so I read that um, in committing to like designing Monument Valley or setting out to make this game, mm. you and Mills decided to put a lot of money into it. And you decided to have a dedicated team yeah. to work on it for a year. It was something like a million pounds that you. you it would have been around. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, it was a full-on team, and, uh -huh. and it was kind of. It was a bit. Um, I, I guess. Yeah, we, we, we went about the game a little bit differently uh, than the other one. We we took it a little more seriously, and um, I mean, I, w I wouldn't say. Um, I mean, we used a lot of learnings from Whale Trail. The other games we used a lot of the learnings from the app store and how you release in the different countries but they they were essentially very mixed teams that came in and out but the whale trail was i guess the first the first game that they made as a team and then and then we learned a lot from that and then we grew the the grew the team and put this kind of essentially this big bet down with uh with with monument valley mm. um and it was done in this um there's a, there's a great interview with ken ron where he talks about like we, it's you, you if you put a like I guess a bunch of games designers in a game studio they'll create a good game but if you start sort of messing with some of those kind of like sort of pieces like uh, so we did have a games team but in that team were a few people from the UX like studio we're also testing it in a in a design studio which is a mainly UX interface I mean this was this was this was back then uh -huh. So weirdly, if you start messing with the normal makeup of a, of, a, of a game, you can, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work, well, often it doesn't work at all, but when it does work, you can create true innovation and true, you know, something that you wouldn't normally come up with. I mean, if someone had told me we're going to make a game that has no scores, no multiplayer, no, no this, it's, it's uh, you know, an hour long, you know, these wouldn't be things that people would start off doing with the, with the game. Uh -huh. And a lot of that um, came through testing it and using it in this studio. You know, mm. with the, the games, you have to sort of wait and launch, do one big launch. But in, in the many, many months leading up to that, we were, they were testing it all the time here. And people uh -huh. were downstairs kind of using it all the time. Huh. But the feedback was from lots of, like, interaction designers. It was kind of a... And you end up with a very interactive game, less game, more experience. So I, I find that quite... Um, I found that quite fascinating in the, in the process. The other thing is Mills didn't have anything to do with this one, so that's why it did very huh. well. <laughs>
how the kind of environment was set up for this game to be, uh, to, I guess, just to manifest. Because um, from what you're saying, it sounds like you're trying to bring in um, different points of view to the video game design or the game design team. And you're also doing a lot of iteration through testing and use yeah. and feedback from the broader. Um, yeah, well, we were doing a lot of testing, but I would say it was with quite a limited, because it was with just within the studio, because uh -huh. we couldn't really, it was all kind of like private, you know, we yeah. couldn't start sending it out to people. So mm. we were doing loads of testing, but it was within our design and tech community within the building. Within so the bubble, so yeah. within our bubble, we were doing loads of testing, and it just so happens that bubble was made up with lots of designers and, 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 and developers, mm. and not many other games people. I mean, mm. maybe people that personally like playing games at home, but it, but it wasn't being tested by a traditional games folks, if you, if, if you see what I mean. It was being tested by our problem solvers or UX or developers or kind of visual, visual designers. Mm. And, uh, and it's, um, you know, I can look back now and say that was a strategic move. It was a, it was a slight, it kind of was a, it was a slight uh, result of the restrictions we had as well. And you know, like who should we test with? Oh, we're in a building with loads of uh, people. Let's test it with the, you know. Mm. So some of it's just a, a natural restriction of the environment that we that we were in when we were creating the game. After that game, uh, the business started partitioning itself, and so you had the the studio, yeah. which I guess is the original form of us two. Then you have the games, us two games, which eventually you kind of physically separated. They're down yeah. in Oval. Well, we, yeah. yeah, but first of all, we separated, and then we, yeah, then, then more recently they took up, well, actually a couple of years ago now, but the space in Oval, yeah. There's this uh, phrase that gets used a lot um, in the way us two describes the work it does, which is collective genius. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of, that seems to characterize the way that Monument Valley came about to a certain extent. Yeah. Through this, like, quite widespread uh, form of feedback from different people with different backgrounds and yeah. expertise. But when you decide to uh, fence off a, a team with specific expertise and then like kind of remove them from the broader group, yeah. how do you ensure that you can maintain that collective genius? Well, I, I it's, I mean, it's a good question. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you raised uh, and, and touched on that one. I mean, f for me, um, I mean, our whole business has always never been about. I know you're sitting interviewing me as a founder of the business, but it's never really been about me and Mills or our ability to design. It's always been about how do we get the best people in there? How do we together make a, make, make great products? Those days, like when I graduated, it used to always be about the massive idea, the big thing that's going to make a, a you know a, a, a huge difference. And now it's more about can you get a great team of people really functioning in a, in a high performance way with each other, with software design, with testing, kind of with strategy, and how do you, how do you get that collective genius to, to do better than any one person can do? So our whole, our whole culture, our whole way we deliver projects, it's all about us working as a team. And what, I mean, one of the things we pride ourselves more on is it's never about you as an individual, it's about the team you're in, and that that can be a studio management team, or it can be a, a, like an HR team. It can be a, you know, often a project team for a client. But for, I, I would say our kind of our special sources of business is about making those people work in, you know, and being, you know, it's about the the the, the you know the the greater power of of the group rather than the individual. And and I get the but 
in the same way that games split from uh, London, you know, we have a bunch of other studios as well. So, you know, in, in the other in the other locations. So there's always going to be a, like a hyper local um, uh, um, sort of activity within the studios. And for me, the, in the same way that New York is together with London, but it's also different. It's a different location. It's a different culture, but it has the essence of us too. We have mm. very strong values that we kind of like we see across. And for me, it's these it's these values and and our mission and the the collective genius that are the bit that keep us together. If you see what I mean, and it's okay that if things break away or if London does open Lisbon as as, as another studio, that's fine as long as we use the. The, the values of the business and kind of like as, a, as an essence for how we create or build something. Mm. And for me, that's how we, that's what we did with the, the game studio. Um, I just want to draw now like parallels between the early work that you were doing, or that us two were doing with companies like Sony Ericsson um, in a mobile yeah. format versus the work you're doing now with companies like Google uh, in an AR or like VR format. Because we're again on this brink of a new medium. When I look at the work, we, you know, the, the wallpapers and the, I mean, this was a long, long time ago. I mean, we've moved, I mean, you have to move in the digital, I mean, things are changing all the time. We've moved so much uh, over, over the last, uh, you know, it's our 15th birthday coming up in uh, November or December. Um, and now the way we work with um, clients, you know, our projects are now less about an animation on a phone. They're more about, I and mean, we did an amazing project with All Day, the kids' hospital in mm. London, where we're actually, we're actually trying to help uh, patients or, or kids have a have a more calming experience when they go in and have, you know, operations or kind of treatment because that means they recover quicker and, and that means they have a better experience. It means the hospital can like look at more kids. Like a, these are really meaningful uh, projects where we go in and not just previously. I guess we were. Maybe I mean a piece of content or an animation and kind of a, and then over the years we've uh, I guess it's the it's more meaningful output as a uh, as a business and and the VR AR we do a lot of this in in in, in Mamo and in in New York and these are um, I mean these are new technologies so they're kind of technologies that we're generally work you can there's there's not there's not too many clients asking for work in that area right now so but but some of the big like hardware manufacturers we're, we're, we're working with and that is just I mean what really excites us most about that technology is often with new technology comes a whole layer like many many layers of new ideas and innovations with 3d space with kind of uh, with sound with a uh, and that's hugely exciting for us as is solving a massive uh, sort of organizations problems with how it delivers Food or, or how it uh, like we did this big project with co-op called Shift uh. Uh, with Shifts and it's um, and it's about how I think that forty-five thousand employees can manage their shifts across and they all lots of them work part-time stuff and these these are these are these are meetings where I would come into a room and and the designers wouldn't even show me what they've done they would talk about the impact that it had on the on the end user and that's for me where it's really for us where it's really changed like. Five years ago, I'd go into a room and it would be about this is what we've designed, or this is the mobile app, or this is the website. Uh -huh. Whereas now I go into a room, it's like this is how people are feeling once they've used our product, or this is the difference it's made to the to the client, or this is the difference it's made to the customer. So I guess it's having a deeper impact for the the customer or the or, or the business, and that's where for me it's kind of like special what we're what we're starting to do now. Just to add on to that, um, because. Us two is diversifying so um, so dramatically now. 
I'm just going to read off a few other projects that are currently um, in the mix. Um, so with S2 Studios, you guys are working on auto mobility. Yeah. So you're working with Ford on a, a parking app. You're looking at ways of humanizing autonomy. You're doing immersive work with Google Cardboard. You're doing health work with um, DeepMind Health. And you're developing apps that uh, use cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and journaling to help change behavior. I mean, saves me having to say that. <laughs> but just like, so just having all these different subjects up in the air, to me, like it seems kind of overwhelming and it's like so hard to keep track of. And at some point, it seems like you just kind of have to take your hands off the wheel and let the machine. It's almost like the, the, the business itself is autonomous now. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I mean, as I said earlier, like uh, me and Mills have never had an issue with letting go of mm. the right things. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, as, as long as the, the values are strong in the business and, and, and we are heavily involved in the mission and generally where we're going and, and, uh, and we're a good company that like ideally does great work for, you know, then I'm, you know, if the, if the studio, you know, m mobility was a great example that came out of some passion from, you know, th th this wasn't me saying, uh, like, I, w I want us to get into mobility. This was some passion from the studio that, that sort of came through, then it was invested in with the studio, and then it's, be it's become a, a big vertical. Same, same with health. I don't, I don't need to drive those things because we've got all these amazing people that kind of come up with the, these ideas. I mean, what we've done with Carsten, though, is kind of help, rather than have a hundred different things on the go, uh, we've chosen to kind of be proactive about, you know, some of the ones you've read off with health and mobility and, and immersive technologies. So we've chosen to focus down on, on some of these areas, and some of the studios have foc uh, focuses in some of those things and others in others, if, mm. if you send me. So I've got, like, a, I've got, a, not only do I not mind letting go, it massively excites me. I, I, I love when I, you know, when uh, you know we released the, our fourth pillar of, of health uh, more formally across the, the, the studio group, and it was amazing for me to hear that. Uh, it doesn't need to be me launching it. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, I actually get more joy out of of Carsten and 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 the and the, and the MDs doing that. It's 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 great. Hmm. Um, I guess just to end, like. Uh, what do you see in store for you moving forward? <laughs> That's what uh, our chair is asking me all the time right now. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, right, right now, uh, in 2018, uh, I was essentially, or t until now, handing over to, with, with Carsten. So I haven't, um, although I, I am stepping back, I'm still, I would say, I'm only starting to step back uh, right now. I, we've gone through a huge effort to restructure the the, the, stu the studio group, well, the whole the whole group actually, and things are starting to work now. They're starting to look really, really, really good. And I and I guess there's a bit of me that's just like, oh. Uh. <laughs> and and at the moment, I'm just enjoying that oh moment. Because I mean, you could. It sounds like you could just, in a way, like retire almost. I mean, um, you could have like a chair position and just that, yeah, <laughs> throw I could, in the I, towel. I could, yeah. The, the, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm not saying I, I'm not very good at not doing anything. Uh, um, so that we'll we'll see what happens there. But, um, but I guess what's keeping you from doing that? Um, I still believe I've got a lot of value to add, even if it is at a board level or direction level. With the you know that there are still big decisions or investments or like we're turning the company into a B Corp, which is a big thing we're doing mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the next three or four months. That's something I'm doing with a few other people in the business and something I'm super excited about doing. 
Um, we're working on the on the, on the board structure and how we make investments and 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 the, and, and the foundation uh, and the adventures side of stuff. So there's a, there's a lot uh, that I'm still involved with, but it is more it is more board level structure stuff. But I, I, there's a lot about that that I quite like. But I, but I guess what it won't require is full on 10, 10 hours a day of my time. It, it's the sort of stuff that takes less time but is super important. Um, as opposed, what I'll do in the other days, I'll come back to you on that because I haven't decided <laughs> yet. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. Oh, I've super enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And if you want to, hello, hello, that looks good. <laughs> um, so, the reason I'm back here is because after we stopped recording uh, our previous conversation, you brought up a really interesting anecdote, and um, what you were talking about is. Um, the idea that software development isn't actually that far away from um, the design of buildings in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It can, well, well, it was my brain linking it to everyday life, and at the, and at the, uh, I had just started a, a, a project um, with an architect firm called Lidicote and Goldhill, and so I was using a lot of my knowledge in products and software and how we developed them. Uh, and seeing what translated to, um, to the project that I was currently working on with them. So, so that's how it kind of came about. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about that, what you were observing with Lodicold and Goldhill, and what kind of connections you were making to the work that you do. I'm relatively inexperienced in working with architects, but the impression I got was all of the architect's work was kind of done quite up front, or quite early, well, a lot of it does need to be done quite early uh, in, in the project. And then there's just a small like making sure the the build project happens right and correct like uh, and correct throughout the project. Mm. There was a lot of stuff that I was like, can we not can we not decide on this later because we might make the wrong decision now. So, I guess like in agile development, you bring all the risk forward and you make you push everything else uh, back to minimise time and kind of. Uh, mm. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about agile development and what exactly it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got people in this business that know it a lot better than me. Uh, um, how, I mean, my, my sort of simpleton approach on the kind of ad, like um, agile development is just, well, generally software changes a lot, as do businesses. And so when you work on long software projects, the idea of deciding everything you, that you're going to do at the start of the project, and it may be a year or six month long project, Mm. When you know that there's going to be inputs that are going to change that, and there's going to be inputs that you don't even know that are going to come up, that are, you know, there's no point in like baking everything up front. So, the, so the idea is having, uh, I guess, less of the the waterfall approach, which is kind of deciding on everything up front, which is, I guess, more traditionally what happens in architecture, uh, and it's more about what do we need to do, what do we need to do now that's going to de-risk this project? How do we like? Let's check the business assumptions. Let's the hypothesis hypothesis of how things are going to work and you try and bring this early in, in, in the project and you assume that technology may change, people may change and you kind of you build that you build that openness into the project because at the end of the day it's a reality. Mm. Things do move on, business does change, people do change and have different opinions. I'm just trying to imagine like how this how like agile development does translate into architectural design. Um, because in my head, like software is inherently malleable. Yeah. And 
architecture isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like, let's talk a bit about the project you worked on with Vodafone and Gold yeah. and so, how they incorporated some so, of yeah. these ideas. Yeah. So I, I talked about how I guess the how the the seed of discussion came up because I guess they were trying to get me to decide on stuff that I was like, can we not just leave it? So that's how the I guess how the conversation started. Other than the sort of leaving things until later, which is like, I, I, you know, if you can, until mm. you know more about the project, the, the building in the, or software, like her. I guess what we then started to do was, and we had a couple of people that worked with us at the time come over, and we actually started to look at like how we work on a, on a, on a daily basis and having stand-ups in the morning or kind of using post-it notes to kind of... Uh, and for me, this became a more granular approach where they were... They were uh, for me, this far more related to how any company could work rather mm. than architecture. So I guess they were kind of, oh, this is cool. So you have everything on the board, so it's really, really clear what everyone's kind of doing. Oh, you size the work up. So I think that's actually where they started getting really, really interested. In. And it was more about how the team dynamics work mm. in their own in their own studio. But but I think. I think it's where it's been more beneficial for them, although it started for me trying to push the kitchen designs back. I think for them it's more in the team, the dynamics, how you know what people are working on, how you bring up problems earlier in a, in a, in a day or a week. Mm. I mean, the other thing with how the team dynamics work is you try and bring any problems someone might having up on, you know, you have daily stand. I mean, they're, they're, they're basic things. Uh, you have daily stand-ups. How are you feeling? Like, is there a reason that this isn't going through? Like, and you try and address these things earlier. So it's all about bringing problems forward. So you're doing less wrong. <laughs> if, if, if you see what I mean, mm. if if we do a day's work and we come back and the next day we talk about it and you've gone off on the wrong tangent or we've misunderstood each other, you find out the next day. Mm. If you start meeting once a week, these things can go off on the, in, the, in the wrong. Now it's not just time and money you waste, it's actually emotions because people get kind of into something and then get frustrated that it's not. So there's a whole, we, we, have, a, we, like, we have this thing called team flow when a, like a, when a team is really flowing on a, on a, on a, so, on a software project. Mm. And, and, and this is I think what Lydico and Goldhill were really fascinated by, the team dynamics and how, like, how you work. And, I mean we also have a, you know, we have a more of a a coach role rather than project management role at us too, where the coach is less sort of above the team and being a conduit to the client, but more underneath the team and supporting the, the client. For me, if you want a team to have great output, they need to work really well together, they need to support each other, they need to encourage each other, they need to kind of, you, you need to sort of uh, get real leadership and inspiration from those people. And, and I think, I mean, it's always been our thing at us too, like, it's our world's never the software world's never about the massive hero that's going to do all the creative. It's about how is this team going to perform? Because soft, software, big software projects are not single people projects. It's mm. all about team team dynamics. If you get a team working really really well together, and that 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 means a, a number of variables need to be right. I mean, ultimately in our world, you get a better product. I mean, it's not just because I like being nice to people. You actually get a better product. Like you get, you know, if you have a a good diverse team that are like really really like working well together, you get you get a and, and happier. Mm -hmm. You get a better you get a better product, which <laughs> means you're a better business. Like a, you know, so. There is some, for me, some, I mean, luckily it aligns with our values as a business. We like to be nice to people and we actually now believe that being nice to people is good for, is good for business. So that's our, that's our thing on it. <laughs> um, I had another question. Um, 
that uh, hopefully we have just a little bit of time to cover. You mentioned that uh, us two were starting a foundation later this yeah. summer. Yeah. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. I think um, we've always uh, we've always been, I say philanthropic, in, in our little mini us two way, we've always looked to see how we can invest both time and, and money in in helping stuff. I mean, it's brilliant. Sometimes I come down here and there'll be classes for young kids about how they code or sort of old elderly people that like how we teach them technology. So we've always done a lot of uh, stuff. I mean, it's been a bit more ad hoc or, you know, people with passions in the studio have reached out and essentially we've just enabled it or let the space out for free or kind of like, you know, we, but uh, generally people are really like, really keen to help these areas. So Mills has uh, been working uh, with Justin, who runs our adventures kind of uh, area of the business for quite some time. And, and, uh, and at the beginning of the, or the end of last year, we, you know, we've made a bunch of investments. They're in great companies. Some of them are more kind of sort of charitable or kind of like helping versus other ones that might actually give a good return and kind of. So we, we've, uh, what we've actually done or what we're, we're in the process of doing is kind of splitting this a little bit. So one is a bit more clear that, you know, we're still going to invest in great companies, but there is, the aim here is that there's a return mm -hmm. versus our, our ambition and mission here isn't about financial return, it's about return in other ways. It's, uh, and, and this is where the foundation is going to be playing. And, it, and, it, and the, the, the intention of this is to help essentially creative, the creative industry and, and how, sorry, not the industry, help people getting into that. So like it, it sounds like the broad ambition is to expand access to um, essentially software development. Yeah, no, it's, 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 um, it's software. It, it's, Design, it's creative industries of which I believe, which I class software development in, in that. But it's it's creative industries in, in. I mean, when I went to school, like doing art, like doing art was kind of like, oh god, you in art school you lose a kind of like a. And now, like I, I mean, I really believe that like the the creative industry is responsible for a huge part of Brit British uh, uh, business, and and mm. I like. I think, I mean, especially, I mean, especially software engineers whose salaries are through the roof these days. They're kind of like, uh, I think they're getting paid more than doctors and lawyers and kind of mm. all, like, so there's a real, like, uh, it is a real industry, uh, the, the, the creative industries and, and helping people get into that. Not, not, I, I, th I think for more, it, for us, it's more about helping people that don't traditionally have a way to get into it because I mean this is less about helping the person that can just go to art school and parents pay like uh, this is more about the the millions of other people that don't have that route in and, and how we can help on like a larger structural scale the way the office us too is organized it kind of reflects this this approach to agile development that you'd see at the scale of a team yeah and that you have these um, branches of an organization that are interested almost solely in um, access and kind of giving people a leg up. Yeah. Uh, it's a kind of societal check-in in a way, having a yeah, foundation yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, me and Mills have never been super interested in, in I mean, I want to get paid, don't get me wrong, I, 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 I want to get paid okay and kind of stuff, but like, uh, this isn't, a, this, we're not doing this to, to maximize profits and kind of, uh, I, you know, I've learned in the last few years, I've learned what happens when you have a, a bit of a down patch and things get harder. And I definitely don't want to see that, you know, I definitely want us to be like, to be growing and kind of making good profit. But like for me, the, some of the benefits of that is being able to do things like the, the, the foundation. And then, and then like, once this is set up, like 
the idea that people from the studio business or from games or adventures can come and help and support, give talks, mentor, like, and, and this is where, you know, we've, although we've split up the business into these different areas, there's a, there's a layer like I don't know, icing on a cake that mm. we want all of these businesses to mix up and kind of, uh, I mean, we split it so there, so there was more clarity and focus, but like, we're still really keen at this family level that all of these businesses kind of work with each other or like, uh, you know, if, a, if someone from the studios wants to go and help teach or kind of to give a class or, or mentor a few individuals and, you know, Mills does a, a bunch of this already. Now that, that's for me, I guess, the real magic. Mm. I think there's, a, there's a, a genuine want for me and Mills to sort of, to, to use some of the funds we have to do, to, I don't know, to try and help and make things better in this, like, you know. Uh, and, and then there's also like, you know, we believe it's good for business. For me, these are win-win things. They're kind of like, a, it's, it's not just to be charitable, it's, it's, good, for the, it's good for us as a, as a business as well. Mm -hmm. Great, thanks. Thank you so much. You're very, well, very welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaffold. I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I produce the show. The theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Rayworth of the band Stanley Park, with additional music this week by Haledo Negro. Subscribe to Scaffold on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at scaffold underscore podcast. Thank you to Sinks. Thanks as always to Scandalin. And thanks to you for listening. I'll see you again in two weeks. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 